You're listening to a special edition of On the Record, online with Eric Schwartzman, the official podcast of the Public Relations Society of America International Conference, October 16th through 19th, 2010, in D.C., featuring conference keynote speakers, panelists, and newsmakers. To join PRSA or register for the conference, visit prsa.org. Michael Smart is the National News Director at Brigham Young University. Full disclosure, I should say he's also a client, and he will be presenting a session at the PRSA International Conference, uh, The New Rules of Media Relations, Pitch Overworked Journalists and PR-averse Bloggers and Come Out Unscathed. Uh, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Eric. So uh, I'm excited to hear about your session. Um you know, I, I tell you, I used to do media relations. It's been many years. But uh, in this environment, I would be terrified to try to do media relations because it seems like there's so many f- there's the size of the news hole, the capacity of the mainstream media to cover, um, you know, company news, particularly soft news, seems like it's lower than ever before. I, I hear you, Eric, and we've been able to uh, deal with that in one way by applying a lot of the good social media skills that you taught us, and another way is I've kept at the media relations game. It's something that I have enjoyed for a long time and, and have sought ways to adapt, and you know what I found is I've applied this stuff in my day-to-day work and then uh, helped people as a consultant uh, that actually the dramatic changes in the media landscape make the barrier to entry higher, so it's harder to get your news attention by the mainstream media. But once you clear that barrier, it's actually easier to place lots of positive news than it used to be uh, when the landscape was more competitive. So, so talk to us about that. I know you're, you have a system for landing major media placements. Tell us about it. Yeah, that's what I'm going to be sharing at the conference. And um, in, I'll just briefly summarize some of the main components um, one revolves around the the disconnect between uh, the way that a lot of media relations used to be conducted, and that was just uh, buying a big old list and blasting out in the old days faxes and more recently email to a big old list, and everybody knows that that doesn't work. And I've got some approaches on how to balance the dilemma we have as PR pros where we know that journalists want individual attention and customized approaches, but clients want us to be reaching out to more and more and, and, and many journalists. Uh, so how do we balance that, uh, the need for customization with this scarce time? Uh, I have some, uh, some tips on doing that. Um, one in particular would be to choose the five journalists or five outlets that would mean the most to our client those placements that um, would likely make them overlook any other on the on the placement list, at least searching that uh, those given outlets' archives to find the most relevant stories that have been previously written or aired about the topic we're pitching, and then we can reference those um, when we when we send our pitch. That's that's one way to do it. Another approach that I'll go into a lot more detail, and this is something that actually used to backfire when I was doing uh, pitching five, uh, definitely 10 years ago, maybe as recently as five years ago. And that is that we can do a lot of journalists work for them now. 
we can suggest third-party sources and and ascertain their available times and their cell phone numbers. Uh, and journalists will actually call them now because they're so busy. Uh, they see that as an advantage over another pitch where they have to find their own third-party source. Now, in the old days, uh, journalists would feel like we were trying to spin them and would avoid any source that we suggested and, and seek out their own. Because they're under such intense pressure, uh, they're people on the left and right of them have gotten laid off. They have to cover more beats in, in more formats. Uh, they have to do uh, video, blog post, and tweet. Uh, they like it now uh, when PR people serve up stories. Now, of course, they need to be credible. The third-party sources need to have qualifications. They need, they need to be appropriately selected. Uh, but that's another approach that, I, that I'll share is how we can succeed at doing journalist work for them. You know, as the national news director at, at Brigham Young University, I could see how that approach could work really well because you could get known as the voice of a few different, you, you know, you have subject matter experts at the university that you can offer up to comment uh, about news of the day. But what about somebody at an agency where, you know, maybe one day they're representing someone in lifestyle, the next day they're representing, you know, someone uh, on the public affairs side, uh, who's trying to influence legislation? Um, you know, the next day they're working on a, on a, selling a television show. How do you get known and develop those relationships with beat reporters when you know your focus is shifting based on your client base? That is a great question. I'm glad you brought it up, Eric. And it's something that I've lived uh, right alongside folks that I've helped through consulting and training. Uh, I get to do workshops on on pitching, and and those are populated predominantly with people at agencies. Um, just had a, a a bunch of folks from a Philadelphia agency at a workshop I did in June. I was really impressed with their persistence and the um, the scope, as you as you described, the scope of the client base that they represent. And you, it may surprise you, but the approach that I'm advocating, the one that I've practiced. Uh, is actually built around an assumption that it's going to be a cold contact on every single pitch. Uh, that is, that the, the, my formula that I apply and that I share with people it, um, starts with the most difficult scenario, and that is dealing with a, a reporter that doesn't know me and doesn't know my organization. And, you know, because of the incredible turnover in the media in recent years, that's the reality even for me. Uh, even, even though I work at a pretty stable institution, the journalists who cover it and its subject matter uh, have revolved so much that, uh, on, at least on a national level, almost every pitch I'm reaching out to somebody that I've never worked with before. So um, the, the, uh, the, the tips that I've outlined and that I will outline at the conference um, are are discrete, that uh, they're separate from each other, and they're repeatable um, no matter what subject you're working with and no matter what type of journalist you're working with. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of different ways that a PR person can pitch uh, a journalist. You know, you could call them on the phone, you could send them an email, uh, you could send them a tweet, you could Facebook them. How do you decide what channel is the best channel to pitch through? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I got some great advice when I was first coming into this field and was talking about uh, how to get a job. And there were all these axioms about this is the way that you, this is the way you apply for a job, or this is how you get a hiring manager's attention. Uh, the person that was speaking said, you know, employers are people. 
and every person is different. So don't seek to find the one true rule that applies to every single person because there isn't one. And uh, that's the same way with approaching journalists. They, there are many different ways some like to be approached. Um, some are all about uh, getting pitched via Twitter because they love how it limits the amount of uh, characters so that they know that it's going to be a short pitch. Others don't use Twitter, so uh, or they may have a Twitter feed, but they never sh- look at it or they don't even know how to check their direct messages. Um, some say they love getting pitched via Facebook. Uh, others, and I've asked, uh, I asked uh, as recently as June, the AP National Lifestyle Editor about that, and she said, oh, she cringed. She said, "Oh, I don't want anybody reaching out to me on Facebook. That's uh, that's my private life, not not professionally." Yet. Um, but so the question is, how do you know that when you're the PR person? How do you know which one they want? How do you know phone versus email? So the the cascading uh, approach that I suggest goes like this: uh, When you ask journalists that, when you go to a panel like at the PRSA conference, we'll have journalists there, and someone will ask them, "How do you like to be pitched?" Almost all the time, they say email. And that's because uh, it's quicker for them to review it, obviously. Uh, they can do it on their own time as opposed to a phone call that interrupts their day. Uh, from a cynical perspective, it's a lot easier just to delete wholesale a bunch of pitches without reading them. Or at least if they read them and decide they're not interested, it's easier uh, to delete it than to have to reject somebody over the phone. Um, so I just try to meet journalists uh, where, they, where they live. They want me to email pitch them. I'll email pitch them first. And then if I don't hear back by an appropriate amount of time, and that varies whether it's a daily newspaper or a blog that's more frequently than daily or a long lead magazine. But if I don't hear back from them in enough time, I pitch them again. And now here's a, here's a, a, a side tip. Some, some PR folks uh, will forward the previous pitch. It's sort of a, you say, I don't know if you saw this, what do you think? It's a little bit of a passive-aggressive way of pointing out that, that the journalist hasn't responded responded. Those that I've talked to and, and, and uh, interviewed, they hate that. They just find that offensive. So I just send the pitch again. Uh, maybe I tweak it to try to try to uh, grab their attention, but I don't reference the fact that I sent it before and they haven't responded uh, so as not to offend them. If they don't respond after the second one, Eric, then I'm picking up the phone. And I know a lot of journalists say they don't like this anymore, but I've had a lot of success uh, calling when I believe in a story that I know that I've researched is appropriate for them. It meets their needs. It's, it's something that they cover. It's going to help them do their job better by saving them time. Uh, I'll pick up the phone and call and grab their attention with a 10-second opening, talk for about 90 seconds, and then they're going to be waiting for the email that I send uh, to follow up. And some folks that, I, folks that I'm coaching on that uh, have had similar successes. Uh, um, gentleman that works at a biotech PR firm called up a reporter at the New York Times and placed a story about a startup client of his over the phone. I share that example just because so often we hear that, that journalists don't want to get phone calls. Uh, what they're really saying is they don't want to get bad pitches by phone. They don't want to get those pitches that aren't, aren't focused on them. Um, yes, it is hard to get them to answer their phone. Uh, quick tip, the best time to call is between 10 and noon in their time zone. And uh, don't leave a voicemail. The, they won't call back. So if, if they don't answer, uh, just try again uh, within that time window. When we come back, we'll talk to Michael Smart about pitching news that's not really news. Stay with us. 
This January 2011, Paul Gillen and Eric Schwartzman bring you the first book devoted exclusively to B2B social media communications. Packed with business-to-business case studies and applied knowledge, Social Marketing to the Business Customer is the most comprehensive collection of B2B social media marketing guidance ever assembled. B2B markets are driven by value and relationships. That's very different from B2C markets. This book's a hands-on guide. It walks business people step-by-step through the process of using social media to find and engage business customers to ultimately drive more revenue. Social Marketing to the Business Customer is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, and Borders. Or buy it at our show blog at ontherecordpodcast.com. Also available for iPad and Kindle. too often, uh, you know, we're asked to release news on behalf of a client or a manager that isn't really news, but you know, it's not our decision. We still have to release it. And so I guess, you know, how does a PR person's assessment of the newsworthiness of the announcement impact the decision of what channel to reach out to journalists to pitch it through? Great question. For somebody who says he hasn't done media relations recently, you're really plugged into this, Eric. Um, uh, you, you never forget. Answer, it's like riding a bike. You never forget. Yeah, sure. You know, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna hit that on two levels. So, on the first level, directly answering your question, uh, a PR person should seek to influence that decision as much as he or she is given the license to by the client. So, I, I hope that clients would trust our expertise, would want us to be. Uh, strategic counselors and accept it when we said, you know, this is really important that this CFO is getting appointed. It's really important to our company. It's not super important to the greater Chicago business community that that you're interested in us pitching to, but we can target some of the accounting trades, particularly those that are based here in Chicago, and here's why that will pay off. I, I would hope they would give us that opportunity. I know that often they don't, especially at an agency. Uh, we're hired to get placements where they want it, where they want us to. So um, I I don't have time to share all of these uh, or even most of these at the hour long session I'll do at uh, PRSA. But I've got a set of what we call story boosters that are formulas or templates that um, can take a boring or otherwise routine. Uh, information and frame it in a way that makes it appealing to a journalist but still carries the spirit of the message that the client has. I'm actually going to be doing that on a, a, t- a webinar for PRSA in November, um, going through all of those. Um, so there are some, some techniques to do that. Uh, one example would be to tie news into pop culture. And I know this is a stretch and it depends on the culture of your client, but I've had some success taking something that was routine finding um, a TV show or a movie plot that uh, really illustrated that point and, and tying it into that movie or the, the, the TV show. Then you get some art. You get a, a famous per- person um, from the publicity stills from, from either the TV show or the movie, and it, it jazzes up what would have been a boring story. And I have some other, other uh, approaches to doing that. But let me tell you, on the second level, Eric, as I put together presentations uh, of, of – placements and how I landed them, 
Uh, I didn't realize this until I looked back over the years, but the placements that I have that uh, I think are the most the most prominent ones, not a single one of them did I think at the beginning deserve that much media uh, attention. I've got some some fortune to have some placements on the front pages of the national newspapers like USA Today and the Washington Post. And when I first encountered that story, I didn't say to myself, "Oh, this is this is a front page story." The reason that they ended up landing there was because of pressure from clients. Um, people were following up with me. They were saying, "We're counting on you. Uh, you've, you know, you said in the past if you gave if we gave you something good, you would you would hit it out of the park. Now this is your chance." Uh, it was uncomfortable. Uh, it was nerve wracking, but that nervous energy got translated into I I hope some more refined thinking and definitely more persistence and tenacity. And those high expectations paid off for the client and for me in my career. But, you know, I, I've always wondered, and first of all, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I can't tell you how many times when I was uh, in the agency business, I would have a client come to me with a story that I was sure was a dog. And it would wind up getting terrific coverage. And then I'd have another client who would come in with a story that I thought was great and nobody would touch it. Yeah. Um, do you really think it's a function of effort or is there a degree of luck in there? Oh, there's definitely a lot of luck, and there's a lot more than effort. There's um, there the, the different variables that influence uh, a story pickup. Uh, the ones that we can control are first um, strategic thinking and creativity in in coming up with a, an angle rather than just a rather than just a message, but an angle that's going to appeal to journalists, we can brainstorm and come up with a great one. Um, then the next one is uh, relationships with the media. And there are PR people that are not creative. Uh, they just have great Rolodexes, and they know how to maintain relationships. So they don't spend any time researching and they don't even uh, they don't they don't brainstorm. They don't try a bunch of different versions. It's really frustrating to the rest of us. They just pick up the phone and call one of their friends and get a placement. Um, I don't have that level of Rolodex, and the people that I coach and and train don't. So I just sort of set that one aside. Then the third variable that we can control is our persistence and tenacity, coupled with diplomacy. Um, there are ways that we can follow up and try again and try other people without being annoying and rude and being those types of PR people that journalists complain about when they do panels. And that, I'll tell you, Eric, is the biggest variable I see of the hundreds of people that I've trained. Um, a lot of people can sit in a hotel meeting room and apply the approaches I'm sharing and brainstorm some really compelling pitches. Very few of them will walk out of that, that meeting room and the next day get on their phone and call journalists until they pick up their phone and keep calling after they've been rejected three, four, five times uh, until they find a journalist to pay attention. Those are the three we can control. After that, we're at the mercy of the news cycle. We're at the mercy of uh, journalists' personal lives. You know, who among us hasn't done a ton of research, got a perfect pitch for just for the right journalist contact, and then we send it and find out they just went on maternity leave or they're on vacation for the duration of the time that this would be newsworthy. Uh, and and um, then finally, like you say, luck um, it's pretty unrelated to pitching, but I was associated with a viral video that had that was a parody of the, those great Old Spice ads, and uh, the people that sent it out had no idea 
that Old Spice was going to do those video responses, you know, that got so much attention um, online in the media this summer, where the Old Spice guy actually res- uh, gave gave uh, spoken to the camera to people who'd sent in tweets and and Facebook comments. But the, this viral video happened to go out that same week and um, got a lot of viewership. And so Katie Couric called, CNN American Morning called, uh, just because of the timing of the luck of going out the same week that this was a national media meme already. Uh, final question. Um, obviously, we are looking at double-digit declines in readership for daily newspapers. Uh, magazines are struggling to make a go of it, many of them shuddering. Uh, you know, uh, uh, broadcast TV also, you know, in dire straits. Uh, really, the only thing alive now and doing well is cable. Um, and I had, have often thought, you know, if you're a PR person today and you're tying your value primarily to the media relations engine at the organization, you know, are you destined to go the way of the buggy whip and follow the law of diminishing returns? How, how, your response to that? Great scenario, and my response is a more moderated uh, uh, assessment than, than the two extremes that, that you pointed out. First, uh, media relations remains and will remain an important arrow in the quiver of PR people. It, you're absolutely right that uh, to be successful, we want to avoid getting pigeonholed as, as only being good at that one thing. But here are a bunch of reasons why it's really good to be good at that at that one thing, among others. Um, you, you pointed out that newspaper readership is down, but the actual total readership of newspaper content has never been higher. More people than ever before are reading the New York Times. They're just not buying the, the dead tree. They're reading but, it online. But that's significant um, because that means they don't have the ad revenue to right. uh, sustain as broad of, a, of a, a, a staff in the newsroom. So you would think so that the softer you're, you're news right, the items... Staff, the, staff may sh- the staff may shrink, Eric, but those, same, those people may be cranking out three stories a day instead of three stories a week like they used to. But they're going to have uh, less of an appetite for soft news. I, I, I didn't, did you say they're going to have, they're less, of have less of an appetite for the softer news items, which are typically the types of things that... PR people announce typically, not always, but typically. Yeah, yeah it's true. And my experience has been because they're so hard pressed for time that when we serve them up a, a very well thought out and targeted soft news piece, that ours is the one they pick, not the ones that are coming over the transom from uh, less well thought out pitches. Well, perhaps, but a I mean, a lot of room to distinguish ourselves. LA Times used to have an automotive section. It doesn't exist anymore. You know, there used to be book reviews. They're gone from many papers. So just the even the ability to, to create that type of content has gone. And I just wonder, you know, is that is it smarter at this point? And I'm not saying you can vacate media relations because let's face it. Clients want it. Management wants it. And it's still very influential. But but should we be looking to diversify our palette of skills so that we can start communicating, you know, through blogs and directly through social media? Yeah, I think we're agreeing. You know, I'll come back to what I said before, that media relations is an important arrow in a quiver of tools uh, that needs to be uh, have a lot of other arrows in it. Very well put. And, and quite frankly, nothing beats a book recommendation by Oprah. 
Yeah, yeah, and, but to your point, that's going all the way of the dodo soon too. Uh, Third-party credibility from the media is really strong. It's harder to get, but it's still uh, possible, and people who approach it with a, in a smart way can still be effective. You know, I was interviewing Charlene Lee uh, in a previous episode of this podcast. She'll be a keynote speaker at the Public uh-huh. Relations Society of America's International Conference in Washington, D.C., 16th through 19th, 2010, uh, where you'll be presenting your session. And she said, I said, who are your influencers, Charlene? Because I, you're, you're, you've always been such an influencer in my book. Who do you look to for guidance? And she said, the mainstream media. Uh-huh. I, and I think there are a lot lot of us that, that still say that and a lot of uh, – out, a lot of people outside high tech that would ag- agree with that. Well, I'll I'll confess something to to the listeners of this podcast. I still subscribe to two print newspapers. I get them every day. I love unwrapping them. I like turning back the pages. I like getting the ink on my hands. I admit it. I'm a newspaper junkie. It's music to my ears, Eric. I can't say that I'm with you, but I'm trying to reach you through those newspapers. I, I'll tell you what, I, the new, if, with the New York Times and the L.A. Times on my doorstep every morning, every morning is Christmas. It really is. I can't right. wait. I can't wait. It's like I get present. I can't wait. To, and and I'm, I'm lamenting a day in which that will not be available. My wife has an iPad now. She's starting to get Vanity Fair. Uh, she got the app. We've got the app for uh, uh-huh. Wired. It's a terrific way to consume it, and I'm sure that paper is, you know, the next thing to go. Uh, but I'm sorry about that because I do enjoy the newspaper. Very good. We'll we'll reach you through the app, and uh, and the, I'm online. We've been talking to Michael Smart. He's the national news director at Brigham Young University, and he will be presenting a session at the Public Relations Society of America International Conference in D.C. on Tuesday, October 19th at 2.15 p.m., titled New Rules of Media Relations, Pitch Overwork Journalists and PR-Verse Bloggers, and Come Out Unscathed. Uh, don't miss it. Michael, thank you for joining us. Pleasure's all mine, Eric. You've been listening to a special edition of On the Record, online with Eric Schwartzman, the official podcast of the Public Relations Society of America International Conference, October 16th through 19th, 2010, in D.C. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, post a comment to the show blog at ontherecordpodcast.com. Connect with us on Facebook or Twitter at On the Record, or send an email to eric at ericschwartzman.com. This podcast has been a special production of On the Record, Online, and the Public Relations Society of America. Unlike normal productions of On the Record, Online, this episode recording cannot be duplicated without explicit permission from PRSA.